song called This I Believe is Freedom. And he sang these words that were a confession of faith. And particularly those words have significance for us today. Because as many of you probably have heard, in case you haven't, I wanted to mention that one of our leaders in our church, one of our deacons, Pastor Gordon Cockrell, passed away just a few days ago. His mother's been sick for some time. And so what we know is that because of his faith, that very faith that we've just sung, that today he's in the presence of God. And so we just saying we believe in the resurrection. And Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of our resurrection. So we have the hope of salvation. We're going to sing it over and again. I want to let you know on this day that those funeral services are scheduled for next Saturday. 1.30 to 2.30 will be our visitation time, and then at 2.30 will be the service, and afterwards we'll go into the fellowship hall for a, a joint reception. And that's next weekend, next Saturday. All of that will happen. Uh, our family's asked that in lieu of flowers, we'd like to make donations to one of three places. In the Mariner's Hospital Oncology Department, the Florida Baptist Children's Home, we have a, a home right up here by the wayside, Children's Ministry of our church, First Baptist. So I wanted to let you know that so you can pray for the family and be a part of that service next weekend. I kind of hate to start that way, kind of a, a sad way to start, but I'm going to go from one to the other because today is the money sermon. Okay, great, nobody left. Good worry about money laughing. Yes, today we're going to talk about money. One of the things that you hear are sometimes preachers say this very thing. They say, money won't make you happy. Right? You've heard that. And you know the answer to that, right? We've been told, we've been prompted with that answer. And the answer is, yeah, that's right. No, no, it won't. You know what we really think? I think most of us have a different reaction. A lot of us might think this, oh, but I'd sure like to try. I mean, if that's a test I can take, I'd like to sign up and see if maybe I might be the exception to that rule. We think, we think that. You know, we, we do think that somehow there's, there's some connection between money and happiness. And, and we've been talking about happiness or contentment or joy for quite a while now, and, and today we're going to see how money does play into that, and it really in many ways is the culmination of some things we said over the last several weeks. We started at the very beginning and said that there is no thing that you can buy, there's no thing that can make you happy, that happiness isn't about acquiring stuff or the next experience. Happiness is more about the relationships in your life, your relationship with others, your relationship with God. That's what truly can make you And then we talked after that about the fact that happiness is not immediately attainable. It's not something you can just kind of get and consume. Rather, it's something that you work toward, you sow toward in your life. You, You, by your habits and by your attitudes and by your actions, you sow so that one day you will reap the reward of happiness and contentment and joy. And we will find out particularly as it has to do with money that that's very much the case. But that's not how we often think. A lot of us think that that connection between happiness and money centers around one idea. And that idea, that concept, can be summed up in a word. And the word is more. That if I have more money, I'll be more happy. More money is more happy. A lot of us think that on some level. There's, there's that cultural 
undercurrent to the world we live in, that more is better and more money particularly would be more happy. In fact, I've seen on the Internet as I was looking at different things, I saw some, some different uh, little memes and drawings, and one of them that caught my attention was, yeah, uh, money might not make you happy, but I'd rather be miserable in a Ferrari, right? That's kind of how we would think. I mean, that, that makes sense to us in some ways. We've bought into that. But, but there's a problem with that, and the problem is based upon, if I were to ask you this question, how much money, how much more money would make you happy? I mean, if that's the case, if more money would make you happy, wouldn't it be a good thing to know that amount? Wouldn't there be a dollar amount out there, some kind of goal that you're looking for? If I can just get there, I know I'll be happy, but here is what is the reality. I'm talking to, to a bunch of people today, and I know I'm talking to people from every strata of economic life. I know that in this room, we, we probably have people that are, are, are struggling financially, that, that they're at best just squeaking by and maybe not even there. You know, they're, they're kind of just hoping to have enough money for groceries and the very basic food, clothing, and shelter stuff. And, and so that would make sense. And we also have people in this room that are on the other end of the economic scale, that, that are doing well, that have money in the bank, that have the nicer things, that have the, the American dream, as we call it. They have it, and there, you know, there are even people probably in this room that if you were to hear how much money they have, you'd say, how in the world does anybody get that kind of money? And if we were to ask all of those people that question, how much more money does it take to make you more happy, they, every one of them would answer it the exact same way. More than I currently have. See, and that just goes to show that that's not the answer. Because there are people that you know that have a lot more money than you. Whether you know them personally or know them through the news or celebrity or whatever, they have a ton more money than you, and they are the most miserable people that you could imagine. In fact, we've had some experience in our life years ago at, at PBA, some people that we kind of had a quasi-connection with that, that had all the success in the world, that even had the little statuettes on the bookcase to prove their success. And there were times where they were the most miserable people. Palm Beach Mansion and all, you could, you could imagine. And I've also been to places and talked to some of the poorest of the poor people. I've been in communities where their, their houses are made out of tin. They have dirt floors. Uh, they, they just barely get by. I mean, they're begging and hoping. You know, maybe they haven't eaten for days. It's one or two meals every day or every few days is enough for them. And they are the happiest people you could imagine. So if more equals more happy, more money equals more happy, that wouldn't be the case. The people with the most money would be the happiest, and the people with least money would be the most miserable. You and I know that that is not how it works. That's not the case. It's just not always the way it works. And, and so we get there, we buy into that, we find out that pursuing that line of thinking actually is the very thing that undermines our happiness. It undermines the thing that, that Jesus talked about, which was the abundant life. We talked about that several weeks ago. The abundant life, the life to the full, Jesus wants to give it. If we pursue this idea that more money equals more happy, guess what? We will actually undermine our own happiness. And Jesus himself talked about it in an interesting way, kind of an unusual way. And really when we think about it, as we talk about it today, you'll see it's not the way you would expect. It's found in the book of Luke. Jesus is talking in, in the book of Luke, chapter 16. You're going to throw most of the scriptures up on the screen as we usually do if you want to 
follow along. There's Bibles tucked under the, the chairs there if you brought your own Bible. Um, Luke chapter 16, verse 13 is particularly where we're going to start. And Jesus says this, Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So he talks in kind of some very black and white, stark terms, contrast between two masters. And if that's the case, you just that just doesn't work. You can't serve two masters. A lot of us, you know, 2016, America, we say, you know, maybe that's a part of the Bible that was written for a long time ago. 2,000 years ago when serving two masters was sort of the way it worked. You know, we don't have masters and servants today, but, but I think you'll see as we look at what he says next, where he's going with this, because he sets up this contrast. He sets up this, this sort of thing that says, here's one option and here's the other option. You're going to choose one of these two paths. And then he tells us what those two paths are in the last part of the verse. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Surprising there, isn't it? When you think about that's how he says it, you cannot serve both God and money. Because if I were to ask you, what's the opposite of God? cannot serve God, if you're serving something besides God, what's the opposite of that? What would it be? I, I imagine your, your answers might be sin. You can't serve God and sin. Okay, that makes sense. Or you can't serve God and evil. Or you can't serve God and the devil. You know, those are kind of the, the opposites there we would put up. But that's not where this goes. No, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, as if one of the chief competitors for your service and devotion to God is money. Now, what does it mean, money? That word, actually, in older translations, the Greek word is translated a little differently. Often it's translated mammon, which is sort of a transliteration of the Greek word, which sounds a lot like the English word mammon. And mammon means more than just money. Mammon means your money, yes, but kind of your stuff, all your stuff, all your material things, a very secular, worldly view of material things. It's your money. It's the stuff that you have. It's the money that you want to have to buy more stuff that you want. It's sort of that whole package. You cannot serve both God and money. And, and again, we go back to that idea of, come on now, Jesus, what do you mean serve? We don't, we don't actually serve money, or, or more specifically, we don't actually serve our stuff, do we? And when you think about it, though, don't we? Don't we? Anybody ever bought anything on credit? Exactly, yes, you have. You've bought something on credit. Let me ask the question this way. How many here ever bought something, saw something, wanted it, bought it, maybe even bought it on credit, and later regretted the decision? Ah, most of us have done that, right? We've all done that. We saw it, we're like, oh, I've got to have that. And we went out and we bought it. Even if maybe we couldn't afford it with the cash in our pocket, the cash in our account, we swiped that card and then we said, oh, i got to have that. And then looking back, we go, wow, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. You know, we've done that. What does that tell us? Well, here's what I would say. In that moment, who was the boss of you? Weren't you, in effect, serving money, serving stuff, that thing, in that moment? had control over you, that you did things that later you say, I wish I wouldn't have done, 
And it even might have had people in that moment say, I don't think this is a good idea. That's right. I don't think this is a good idea. You shouldn't do that. And we did it anyway. All of us have done that. We think, oh, come on. I don't, I don't have a master. I don't, I don't love stuff. I mean, we all know that verse, right? The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and stuff. And, and he says it this way. And when he said that, you, you will either love the one hate the other, or, or maybe a better word, you will be devoted to, you will have an attachment to, you will have your eye on, you will seek out, you will be on a quest for, you will make decisions based on your desire for stuff. And we've just, we've just all admitted that we've done that very thing. We had something we wanted, and it caused us to make a poor decision. We did something stupid, because in that moment, that desire, stuff ruled. Stuff was our master. We made that decision. We acted on it. You were mastered by that. Anybody here? Hey, we're in the keys, right? Anybody got a boat? Yeah, what's boat stand for? I've heard this, right? Boat means bring on another thousand. That's it, exactly. Or somebody once told me uh, a boat is a hole in the water that you throw money into, right? Yeah, we all know that in the keys. We have a lot of boats here. You know what's better than having a boat? That's it. A friend with a boat. A friend's boat's better than your own boat. We all know those things. But how many of us in that moment saw the boat, wanted the boat, needed the boat, bought the boat, paid for the boat, are still paying for the boat that's been sitting in the driveway, it's maybe been broken down and we can't afford to make that repair, or the gas prices a few years ago were so high, unconscionable to put gas in that. I mean, all of those things are realities. Maybe that new car, that, that new RV or who knows what it was. You did something. You, you bought that bigger house and had that bigger payment. And, 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 you know, we talked about boats. That's kind of a guy thing. But ladies, how many of you have ever done this? As you get up in the morning, you're getting ready for church. You go to your closet. It's open. You're standing there full. I mean, packed full. And you would say, I can't find anything to wear. And you go, does, in fact, at times, master us. Our desire for stuff, Jesus says, our pursuit of stuff, our devotion to love for stuff is the key competitor in our lives for our devotion to God. Jesus is setting up a pretty sharp contrast, saying, hey, you have a choice. There are two Master is possible. One of them is God. One of them is stuff. And we all see, at times, we can take option B. We can let stuff be our master. And according to Jesus, that means we are despising the other, despising God. We are loving stuff and hating the other, hating God. Jesus makes us come to terms with those realities in our life. Now, how do we get there? How do we buy into this idea that more money is more happy? And how do we allow that idea to somehow kind of get on top of us and even enslave us to become our master, that stuff, that mammon, that money becomes our master? Well, there, there are several steps we go through. And the first step toward that is discontentment. We live in a world where we are bombarded. We've talked about this throughout this series. And we talked about there's nothing that can make you happy and all that sort of thing. We're bombarded by advertisements. There's always something else out there. And we're discontent with what we have. 
cell phones are great. Every year, like clockwork, there's a, a out in Cupertino, California, right? There's a there's a expo, and one of the CEOs forget his name offhand gets up with Apple and tells us about the latest and greatest phone they've come out with. And suddenly, that phone that we have just isn't it isn't enough. We need a new phone. Oh, it can do this and it can do that. It's got a better processor. It's got a bigger screen. Whatever it is, and we're, we're discontent with what we have. Or maybe we're going to meet up with a friend and, you know, maybe go out to dinner or go catch a movie. And they say, hey, you know, you can ride with me. And they pull up and you and you get in and they're, they're in a new car, a brand new car. And you kind of smell and you sit down and, oh, man, this is great. And you look around. They've got, you know, one of those entertainment systems. Maybe it's a, a touch screen entertainment system with all the latest satellite radio connected Bluetooth to their phone. They're playing things through it. They can talk on their phone through their entertainment system. It's got, it's got GPS built in and, and that full color screen. And like, oh, wow. And oh, it's got those nice leather seats. You just kind of settle in. You're like, oh, so comfortable. And they push over. You get home and later that night you sit in your car. Oh, wow. Man, that sure was a nice car. This car suddenly, the car that gets you from point A to point B suddenly isn't, isn't good enough anymore. Isn't, isn't, want because you're discontent with what you have because you're aware of what else is out there and you've experienced what somebody else has and suddenly that kind of discontentment is gnawing away at you. One of my things is is uh, technology. We went up to Best Buy. Oh, I should never go to Best Buy. I can sound like crazy in Best Buy. Going to Best Buy and one of the things was the TVs they have set up. You know, I was thrilled one several years ago when we kind of upgraded. We got rid of our, our old TV. It was the big box that weighed a ton, you know, just this new thing for a flat screen, high-def TV, 1080i, 1080p, or whichever one. I don't remember which one's the best. And I thought, oh, man, this is great. It's this, this size. It's 1080. It's, it's a 60 megahertz refresh rate setup. I was so happy until I heard, wait a minute, you can buy a 120 megahertz refresh rate? Oh, oh, and then they came out with a 240 megahertz refresh rate. Oh, and, and now you have the 4K TV and a curved screen. And you go in there, and they've got it all set up, and they've got that movie playing that you love, and you put on maybe the 3D goggles or whatever, and you're like, oh, man, this is great. And inside you just begins to, you come home and you look at your TV, it's like, it doesn't have enough room for me. Discontentment. We go from... I didn't even know this existed, to I gotta have this in seconds. Stuff is our master. But but what does the Bible tell us about this? This is just one place that, that I wanna I wanna take you to a verse that I'm sure you've quoted, but never in this context. And surprisingly, you've never quoted it in this context. You've actually never quoted it in the right context. It's Philippians 4.13. And you may know that by the address. You may say, oh, I know what that says. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we often quote that verse because we're, we're going through a difficulty. There's some big obstacle, maybe some big trial we've got. And we say, okay, God, I can, I can handle this. As tough as this is, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's how we think. But that is not the context that verse was written in. If you were just to back up a verse, Paul says, before he makes that statement, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he tells us why he would say that in verse 12. Listen to what he says. He says, I know what it is to be in need, 
and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And that's when he says, the very next verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking about some big trial. He's not about to go to jail, or he's not in jail like he was a lot of times in his ministry. He's not about to be beaten. He's not about to, to have some situation come up that he just needs to remind himself he can handle this. No, he's saying, as I've looked at my life, it doesn't matter my economic situation. I can be content because I trust that God will give me all that I need. And so if I just have a little bit, I trust God that he'll take the little bit that I have and provide for me. And at other times when I had a lot, I trust that God gave me a lot. And he knows what's best. And he knows in that situation I need it a lot. I just trust him. So if I have a little bit, I'm not discontent. And if I have a lot, I'm not discontent either thinking I need more. No, wherever I find myself, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. Because it's Christ that gives me strength, not my bank account balance or not my technology, or not the car I drive, or not the house I live in, or the TV I watch. None of that gives me contentment. No, I can do all things through Christ. That's what strengthens me. And so we come in our world to all these options, all these new things that breed in us discontentment, and what happens? We have to make a choice. And when we choose discontentment, we're choosing stuff. And we're allowing stuff to be our master. And when we allow stuff to be our master, it says God can't be our master. But when we choose contentment, even when we know there's something out there, we say, God, whatever I have is what you want me to have. I don't need that bigger house. I don't need that newer car. I don't need that bigger TV or newest cell phone because you are my strength point. Then we're choosing him. But if we're not careful and we allow discontentment to come in, we begin to move down that road toward more Money equals more happy, toward more stuff equals more happy, and toward stuff being our master. And when we start down that road, we have to be careful because the next step we come to is greed. Now, if I were to ask you today, how many of you here today are greedy people? I bet not a one of you would raise your hand. Because it's hard to see greed in ourselves. You know where we see greed? In the other guy, that's right, in the, in the person sitting next to us, or in our co-worker, in our neighbor, wherever. We see it all over the place out there. But it's hard to look in the mirror and say, oh yeah, that, that greed, I, I'm a greedy person. But Jesus gives us an idea. He helps us understand what greed is. Because if, if we know that greed is kind of a way that stuff becomes our master, we're discontent. And now we're greedy, we're wanting more stuff. What does that look like? Well, Jesus talks about it. He talks about it over in in Luke chapter 12, just a few pages over from where we started. And he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Greed is out there. Be on your guard against it. And then he tells a story, and the story is very helpful to help us understand what greed is. He tells a story you may be familiar with about a man who was doing pretty well. It's, it's sort of terrible, these, these kind of stories that Jesus is telling. It says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
I have no place to store my flocks. And then he answered, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the motto of the key to the great place you live, isn't it? But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? What do you have to prepare for? What you have prepared for yourself. And Jesus closes verse 1. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself that is not rich toward God. See, greed is, is this idea that everything I get is for me. That everything that comes to me is for me. To spend on me so that I can get more stuff. Because if more money equals more happy, if more stuff equals more happy, I want to get more stuff because that will make me more happy. So anything that comes my way, that's, that's a way for me to get more stuff. That's a way for me to, to keep going and get, get what I need for me. Jesus says, that's greedy. You think everything you get is for you. But be on the lookout for that. Because the problem with greed is greed is never satisfied. Greed is never satisfied. And you know this in our world because we've probably all been there. I know I was. I, I walked in as a freshman. I've told you this before at TBA, Palm Beach Atlantic. And as we were there for orientation weekend, there was a table. And on that table was a little sign that said, Discover. I said, well, Discover. i got to find out what Discover. I need to discover what this is about. And they said, would you believe it, that if I were to fill out a short form and tell them about myself, they would give me a small rectangular piece of plastic. And I could take that small rectangular piece of plastic, and I could go to any of the retail establishments around Palm Beach, and I could hand them that small rectangular piece of plastic, and they would give me things for free. I wouldn't have to give them any money. All I had to do was show them my small rectangular piece of plastic. Now, you know that's not exactly how it works, but that's kind of what's at work here, huh? You think, here's a plastic, I get it for free. No, 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 you don't get it for free because a bill always comes, doesn't it? Always comes. And that's us. We have this idea that greed, we don't even have to stop when the money runs out. We can keep going. We can keep buying. And if we go from discontentment, oh, there's that new phone, there's that new TV, there's that new car, to greed, everything I have, everything I get is for me and for my consumption, the next step is guilt. I owe somebody else because I can't afford the thing that I wanted. But one day I'll get some more. See, that's really the end note of greed, isn't it? I'm so convinced that everything I get is for me that I'm going to already spend money I don't have yet, knowing that I'll one day get it and be spending on stuff I've already bought and probably thrown away and is gone. I don't use it anymore. Yes. Now, here's an important thing. You have a choice in your life when you come to these ten commandments. And the, the choice is between two options. Option A is I want. And option B is I owe. I will tell you every time, I want is a much better tension than I owe. Because I want but don't have is a direct thing between you and God. See, I want but don't have it. That's a moment where you can quote what Paul said in Philippians 4. And you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can drive this old beater car. Right? I can deal with this one-year-old or 18-month-old cell phone, how horrible would that be? But I can do it because Christ gives me strength. I can deal with this 
not the latest and greatest. I want is a pension, yes, but it's between you and God, and you can make the choice. Trust Him. I owe and can't afford is a pension, is a, is a thing that's between you and your lender, you and your creditor, you and the bank. And here's the really bad news about that. God sides with the bank. God sides with the creditor. In fact, the Bible warns us about this. The wisest man that ever lived in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, says this. The borrower is slave to the lender. And there's that idea again, master and servant, master and slave. Can't serve two masters. And here, those who are in debt are slaves to the lender. Now, you know this if you've ever done it. Maybe you've, you've leased a car, done something like that. One of the things that, that happens when you lease a car, before you can leave, as I understand it, before you can leave the, the lot, with the car you've just signed all the paperwork on, they need to make sure your insurance coverage is adequate. They won't let you drive off even though you're going to pay them and all that stuff. And so they know and they get the copy of your insurance card that that car is covered and covered in the way that it should be. Another example, our church, several years ago, we wanted to make a financial decision. We were doing our budget process. We were looking at a way that, that we thought would be a, a good decision for our church to make. And we wanted to make that decision. But as we went through it, we realized our church had a mortgage to a local bank. And so even though we wanted to make this financial decision, for our church, we had to call and ask a representative from the bank to come to our meeting and give us the okay as to whether or not we could make that decision. Now, who's the boss in that situation, the church or the lender? Obviously, the lender. The borrower is servant to, is slave to the lender. And we live in a world... We are fortunate to live in a world where we are prosperous. America is an incredibly prosperous nation, and we in the Keys live in a particularly prosperous section of this very prosperous nation. It is a blessing to live here. And the irony, however, is the, the more prosperous we get, it seems like the more opportunity we have to go into debt. The more money you make, the more offers come your way. It is remarkable, and it is so different than anything our parents or grandparents would have ever experienced. It doesn't make sense, but that's the reality in our culture. And so those are our three words. We're going to throw them up on the screen. I think we have a slide up here with these three words on it. I'm going to ask you a question. Put them up there. There are the three words. Discontentment, greed, and debt. Are those happy words? Do those words make you happy? Do they? Of course not. I mean, how many of you? When it's Christmas time, you're like us, you get a lot of catalogs, particularly when our kids were younger. And the catalogs just flooded and show you all the stuff you don't have but could buy. And it, do you just lay them out on the floor and go, oh, this is so wonderful. I'm just going to roll around in these catalogs. I'm so happy to see all the things I don't have and can't afford. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so happy. That's ridiculous. How about greed? Greed make you happy? Is that idea of consume, 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 consume? Does it ever surprise you? No, and how about debt? I mean, when you get your bill and you get that bill in the mail, you say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for my credit card bill. I am so happy this came in to remind me of money I spent that I can't afford. Oh, thank you. I didn't have to stop when the money ran out. These are not happy 
words. These are not words that bring happiness. These are actually things that as you go through these steps, as you buy into the idea that more money makes you more happy, you follow this into further and further slavery, devotion to, love of, mammon, of stuff. And according to Jesus, that is the path away from God. Every step you take down that path, every step of allegiance to stuff, is a step away from God. You cannot serve. Jesus says it's an impossibility. You cannot serve both God and stuff. So what's the alternative? And I think there is a way that money can be connected to happiness. But I hope you've seen today that way is not the way of more. The way of more is the way towards slavery, towards stuff. But there is another word, I think, and around it coalesces the idea that money can contribute to your happiness. It is connected to your happiness. And that word is mammon. Now, there are some people in, in the church world that have talked about this for a long time. And the first one I ever encountered was a guy by the name of Larry Burkett. Some of you know Larry Burkett. How many of you remember? Yeah, okay, a lot of you remember. Was it, he started Crown, right? Yeah, yeah, he was the Crown Financial Ministry guy. And he talked about some financial management principles. Another one, uh, Ron Blue. How many of you heard of Ron Blue? Okay, a few. But he's not as popular. Um, never kind of got the following that Burkett did. But, but yeah, some of you, same thing. And now it's probably the most recent and, and maybe the most popular of the three. Dave Ramsey, right? Gazelle-like intensity, as you say. How many of you know? Yeah, exactly. Everybody's heard of Dave Ramsey. He's got the radio shows and he makes the columns and all that kind of thing. We all know Dave Ramsey. If you were to look at these guys and look at their principles and talk about them, you would find they all kind of say the same thing about finances. And if I could boil it down into a few points, this would be the few points I'd make. Number one, how can money be connected to your happiness? How can you not be a slave or a servant of money? Well, we can first of all give. When you get money, you give it away. There is no better way to say to money, you're not the boss of me, than every time you get it, to give it away. See, greed says everything that comes to me is for me. Giving says, nope, it's not for me. I'm going to give it away. In fact, you probably can come to church and you know that we take up an offering. We take it up when we when we meet every week. We pass the plates. And a lot of people say about church, oh, look at that. They just all they want is money. That's not the point. See, we don't take up an offering because, like, you know, God is short this month and needs your help. That's not it at all. We take up an offering because we believe giving is an act of worship. And so that's why it happens in this worship service. We think giving is worship. And if Giving is a way to say to your money, money, you're not the boss of me because I'm going to just give you away. Giving your money to God and to his kingdom and to his purposes is a way not only to say, money, you're not the boss of me, but God is the boss of me because you cannot serve both God and money. And so we, we act together in giving as a way to say, money's not our boss. And the great thing about giving, it makes you happy, doesn't it? It brings joy. I mean, I mean think about some times in your life. I'm not talking about here in, in church, you know, when we pass the plate. But I mean, think about a time in your life where you've given to somebody that had need. Maybe it was around the holidays. And you knew of a family that couldn't afford gifts. And so you went out and bought 
maybe for their kids some Christmas gifts. And maybe it was even smaller than that. Maybe it was just one time you were walking into a fast food restaurant and you saw a guy that was hungry and you said, hey, um, listen, I'm kind of hungry. Can you help me out? And he said, sure, come on in. And you took him into the restaurant and you bought him a, a meal. You bought him a burger and fries and a Coke and gave it to him. You walked away from there. And you walked away from those situations, right? Saying, man, you've done something good. That makes me feel good about myself, even though I feel like shame. I don't, I don't know. No, you were happy about it. Giving shows money. It's not the boss of you, but it's also a way that brings joy into your life. So you give as a way to show money is not the boss. And then after you give, all of these guys will tell you you need to save. Save. Put money in the bank. You give some away and you save some. Save it for a rainy day. Because you probably know this as well as I do. Money in the bank is kind of peace of mind. Because stuff happens, right? Yeah, stuff happens. You know, we talked a lot about cars today. What does it cost these days if your car breaks down? I think it's like a minimum. If you take your car to the shop, it's four or $500 no matter what. Not just for a run-of-the-mill repair. If it's anything major, it just goes up, up, and away, right? I mean, an oil change used to be, what, $19.99, and now it's $40-ish, $50, depending on where you get it. Stuff happens. Things break. Emergencies happen. And most of those guys talk about having that emergency fund. So when that unexpected thing happens, you have some money in the bank that gives you peace of mind to be able to handle that emergency because stuff happens. Now, by the way, they'll also say an emergency isn't, I just really want some of my steak tonight. No, an emergency is an emergency. And saving is a way to prepare for those so that when they happen, it doesn't stress the regular things in your life. And then the, the third principle is kind of the thing your grandparents and my grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents all knew. You live on the rest. You don't spend more than you make. You give, you save, and you live on the rest. You give, say, money, you're not my boss. I'm giving you away, and I'm joyfully giving away. God loves a cheerful giver. I give because it brings me joy. And you save because I need peace of mind because I know stuff happens. I'm trusting God. And then you live on the rest. I'm trusting God. He will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Not wants, and I'm content. No matter what God you bring me, I'm content with that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm content to live, even if I don't make as much as I wish, or even if I don't drive the car I want, or have the TV I want, or have the big house I want. And that's the, the way to go, we might say, to financial freedom. Now, now, let me say this. A lot of people think financial freedom is this. If I'm financially free, I have the money to buy whatever I want. I don't think that's financial freedom. I think that's close. It's like one step short of financial freedom. I think true financial freedom is I can buy that, but I choose not to. I could buy the bigger TV. I could afford it, but I'm not going to because I'm content with what I have. I could lease or buy that new car my car is still perfectly adequate to get me to work and get me around, so I choose not to. I could afford to borrow the money to live in a bigger house, but I trust that the house I have that God provided is adequate, and I'm content in it. That in those minutes, financial freedom doesn't equal when I see something, I can afford it and I buy it. No, it's that I have the freedom to say no. Dave Ramsey calls his study the Financial Peace University. Didn't we say from the very beginning, 
A lot of people that are happy have peace. Peace with others, peace with God, peace with themselves, peace with their finances. They don't need peace. They can do choose to follow that path, instead of discontentment and greed and debt, if we choose to give money away, get money in our boss and give it away, and take it to retirement, and, and save some to give us peace of mind because stuff happens, and we live on the rest because God provides for our needs, and I can do all things, then that's the way that we serve God and not stuff. Because remember, that's where we started. That, those are our choices. It's one or the other. Jesus says you cannot serve two. You cannot serve both God and stuff. So I would say to you, you have a choice. And the way to serve stuff is to buy the idea that more money equals more happiness. And you will chase that your whole life. And you will find it leads to discontentment and greed and debt. And you will undermine your own happiness. And that will be slavery. Because the borrowers take advantage. Or, follow the principles of the Bible. And you can, instead of serving stuff, serve God. And trust that no matter what, you can do all things, but God will give you contentment and will supply all of your needs. 